Hey, 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 good morning. It's Sunday morning in Arizona, 8-22. Got some uh, wispy, not wispy clouds, some significant clouds, but mostly blue skies. And the sun is up, warming us up. It's 66 degrees Fahrenheit, 41% humidity, and about a 41.7 degree dew point. <laughs> and this is kind of silly, right? You, 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 maybe you enjoy it because it's familiarity. You know you're going to get the temperature. You know you're going to get the humidity. And you know you're going to get the dew point, right? Well, I don't know why, dude. It's just habit. Habits. Habits, baby. So this is an audacious title in this podcast. I'm going to see if I can remember it by the time I'm done. But it's called The Meaning of Life. Wow. Wow. Are you, are you serious? Is this podcast about the meaning of life? Yes, my friends, you tuned in to the place for deep philosophical discussions while walking a dog. Yeah, bud? Bud, you enjoying that? So appropriate, this title of this podcast, The Meaning of Life. I had an epiphany the last couple of weeks, and it just came to fruition a bit this morning. And that is... The meaning of life changes. How often, I don't know about you, but I quite often have thought about the meaning of life as if it's, there's one answer to that. And even if someone says, well, no, there's, everybody has their own answer to the meaning of life. It's still just a simple question. What is the meaning of life or purpose, right? purpose and something a re- epiphany so to speak is um is, is taking all the pressure off of that right because if you if you say to yourself well wow yeah the meaning of life yeah my purpose my why what's your why i think there's a a simon cynic guy very uh, effective communicator enjoyable and I think he talks about the why and your purpose and stuff, right? And, it, and, and in these presentations, it's like, oh, yeah, I got to find my why. I got to find my purpose. And that's where meaning is. People are lacking meaning in their lives. <laughs> and, but let's go this way. I, th- I think, and I'm thinking that uh, we've made it out to be like this super serious, like deep, deep, important. There has to be a significant answer, right? I mean, and then reading Viktor Frankl, um, Man's Search for Meaning, the epiphany hit me. It's just a very simple statement that meaning, life's meaning changes. It changes during time, over time. And then I realized, well, holy cow, I think that's a much better way of looking at it. There is no one meaning in life. And and it's not that each of us have our own individual meanings, but even better, that there's we don't need to stress out on finding what is our unique meaning or purpose. Morning, Doug. It's a nice time of year. <laughs> nice. It's 66 degrees out. Nice, huh? What? How hot? Is it 86 today? Yeah, yeah. So there, I just had a little bit of meaning there. I, I, uh, I showed some interest in somebody else. See? That's my meaning. That's one of my meanings. It changes. So taking the pressure off the meaning of life. <laughs> I've never heard anyone do that before. I've never heard it, you know. So maybe this is the first. This is the first. I mean, Fr- Victor Frankl wrote it, meaning changes. And then he has like three areas. He sets up a framework, right? And you know how I love frameworks, which is sarcasm. And one of my frameworks is sarcasm. Hey, I've got a sarcastic framework. Yeah. Because I don't, and so I actually wrote down in my, my journal today. It's like I know Viktor Frankl's got a framework now. Three things, three things you can find meaning in, right? 
and we'll talk about all three of them. But um, but I'm saying like, well, even if he only has like 90%, like there's probably a fourth or a fifth way of finding meaning in your life. I'm like, do I have to argue with this framework? I mean, I do, because that's part of me. I argue with everything. And, and so let's just go through these three. Uh, Victor Frankl, and if you don't know Victor Frankl, he's, I don't know how many millions of copies of his book he's read, sold, but I just read it for the first time, and it's like, or maybe, I don't know if I wrote it, read it 40 years ago. How do I know? I don't think I did. But that's interesting thing about books, too. So he indirectly offers a transformation, which is how to find meaning. And he says, you'll find it in these three areas. So first is by, I should probably just read them directly. because Let's see if the technology, I thought of myself like, and I get the technology to work that fantastically that um, I can actually look up the exact quote while I'm walking the dog. I mean, I'm pushing my, I'm pushing my technology capabilities here quite a bit. But in my Kindle um, is working while I'm podcasting. So if I go back to the most recent page, um, he said, yeah, I got it. So this is going to be good. I'm at the gate. So not only I have the electronics technology to deal with, I have to deal with this old technology, which is a gate to get out onto the street where Bud wants to go for his walk. Now Bud is free. So, I'm uh, working on the, the deal. Here it is. So, the exact quote. Thus far, we have shown that the meaning of life always changes. So he's already proven that somehow, that the meaning of life changes. Just, I like accepting that. The meaning of life changes. I'm walking my dog. Part of my meaning in life was to say hi to Doug. Wow, take the pressure off. Be kind. There's some good meaning in just doing simple things, right? So thus far we have shown that the meaning of life always changes. Take the pressure off, people. But that it never ceases to be. So there's always... Uh, that's a bit deep thought. So he's got this logotherapy, he calls it. We discover this meaning in life in three different ways. One, by creating a work or doing a deed. So creating a work or doing a deed. And for an entrepreneur, you're creating a work and doing a deed. You, as uh, one entrepreneur says, it's you do, you ask people about how they feel about something so that you can better serve and better sell your, uh, was it your customers or what do we call that again? Your tribe, there's a little bit of tribe. I didn't want to go into the complexity of the tribe, but um, your peeps, your people that you're influencing. So you want to better serve and sell them by using the ask method and just getting there. What do people want? Give people what they want. So part of your meaning might be to give, create that work, right? And doing a deed. So I'm walking the dog right now. I'm walking bud. I'm doing a deed. There's meaning in walking the bud, right? So that's number one. Number two is a bit complex. It's experiencing something or encountering someone, something or someone. So, uh, Victor, I'm, I'm about this Holy Spirit, spirit, right? So, um, to me, that's experiencing or encountering so we can encounter someone. So let's encounter the Holy Spirit. So for me, that brings meaning. And it's complex and it's hard for me to articulate. And it's also um, nearly impossible to try to like share with other people in a way it's kind of hard to explain. But maybe it is truly a relationship thing. So just think of your own 
physical touch relationships could be your neighbor, family member, and you experience them, you encounter them, and you enjoy that relationship. And it's you probably have a unique relationship with one of your neighbors, siblings, and it's hard to describe that to somebody else, right? It's like for the, you have your experience with that person. And even just a few minutes ago, I was reading a Henry Cloud article about um, people's opinions or comments. And uh, he shared an experience where somebody was commenting negatively about someone that Henry knew real well. And he realized it's just a, a misunderstanding of each other. And or, you know, some people have um, different experiences with the same person. So I guess that's the old, you can't please everybody all the time. So you can get meaning in your relationships and even something. I'm not sure what Victor's referring to there, but uh, experiencing. So our experiences bring meaning. And the last one, the third one is, by the attitude we take toward unavoidable suffering. So here's where words are really amazing. Because he's saying the unavoidable suffering. And I think oftentimes we fight suffering as if it's avoidable. (laughs) So he, he, by throwing in the word unavoidable suffering, he's reminding us that we're going to suffer and what's our attitude towards it and it's kind of a those three things they they just pop off the page as pretty simplistic ideas like oh okay cool there's that's where i'm going to find my meeting either in creating uh work doing deeds or i'm going to uh, experience something or someone or i'm gonna you know my attitude towards suffering you know so you could be in denial on your suffering, which I probably do. I'm delusional probably. Or maybe I have an attitude towards it like, hey, it's unavoidable. So maybe my attitude's better. It's not perfect. So then I go to the Gaussian curve again uh, and consider that, I mean, what's what's attitude, right? So in German, this guy writes in German. And uh, the word I believe is launa, L-A-U-N-E. And I like to say, man muss ein gute Laune haben, which is, we need to have a good attitude. So, so I'm right there with, uh, but that's kind of a general statement, right? He's specifically saying, having, what's our attitude towards unavoidable suffering? And uh, I'm coming up on another dog, so I'm probably going to get thrown off track a little bit here. But I want to come back to the Victor Frankl here. In a moment. So, good morning. She's not. I, I never know. Oh, okay. In her old age, she's, she's gotten a lot more. Oh, a little bit rough. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Have a good day. So we have leashes to hold these bug dogs back. Right, bud? You want to go across now, bud? Okay. Morning. Victor Frankl. So, do you know this guy? I'm kind of getting to know him. And uh, he uh, spent time, and unfortunately, in concentration camps. And uh, it's amazing how words will like trigger your emotions, right? So, if I talk about concentration camps, I know in my earlier days, it's like just a trigger. Just those words, concentration camp, trigger. And it's hard to, like, put ourselves in a situation like that. It's the easiest thing to do is just, oh, that's terrible. It's the worst thing that ever happened. And we just, I don't want to think about it, right? I mean, that's pretty typical response. Like, oh, I don't, I don't want to talk about this again. You know, we, haven't we talked about concentration camps and Jews and the Germans and the Hitler and all this stuff? Haven't we talked about it enough, you know? And I'm like, well, I'm not trying to make any point about that experience. I'm just saying, here's a dude that lived through it. And uh, 
I think just the fact that he survived it is uh, worthy of listening to his observations. So he, uh, Jewish guy, I guess he was, I think, believe he was a psychiatrist in Vienna beforehand. And kind of the book doesn't really go into the whole process of getting um, collected and sent anywhere. He just basically jumps into his experiences and how he um, went through it. And he's on several occasions, it was kind of iffy, like, well, what's going to happen now? Could go this way, could go that way. I could be sent to the showers or I could survive. And he just noted, he calls it fate a lot of times. You know, it's just, well, it's fortunate. Certain things happen that people sort of protected them in a weird way or just circumstances worked out a way and he uh, survived. And I think at the end he says like, well, one in 28 people survives. And then I did like, I just did some rough math. And uh, so if there's like 6 million people or maybe more, even if you call it 10 million people uh, in camps, then you've got 28, one in 28. So that's 280,000, I think. Is that right? I don't know. When I did the uh, 6 million, it was 200,000. So 200,000 survivors who, can you imagine just facing death every day? Like, I just can't imagine it. It's like, it's like you, yeah, and you're, and you're helpless. You, you can't basically, if you, your frustration level could increase and you'd want to escape or get out because you think, you know, it's, and it's a mental challenge. I mean, people, I just, I just can't imagine. And he did it for like two or three years survival or something. It's just every day waking up and he doesn't even go into the details. Like, you know, some people will go into the details of like what it does with their body. They're not getting enough food. And then they go like, well, I'm only getting uh, 500 calories a day with this piece of bread. And he just kind of, he's not, a, he's, he's shares his experience and, and, uh, and that having, finding meaning for him is the conclusion that he somehow found meaning every day, even though he was in this oppressive environment. So it's kind of hard to explain in a podcast and talk about so if you haven't read that book, and, or maybe you have, and you want to go back and look at it again, those three um, characteristics of finding meaning are helpful. And really, the number one thing is that meaning changes um, throughout life. So take the pressure off yourself of like finding. And I have to. I'm, this is I'm speaking to myself here. Finding like what is the one meaning to life, or the, your your calling, your purpose. And it can change. Why not? Why shouldn't it? Why can't we allow it to change? And maybe, quote unquote, some people will say, oh, well, it's just evolving. It was there the whole time. And, oh, yeah, your your uh, your um, sole purpose, which is, you know, there's that's a term. It's a book now. It's, I'm sure it's valid and good. But I just wondered if the theme of even that book is your sole purpose if it sets you up here for failure almost that, oh, you've got to have only one purpose and you only have, you got to go find it. You got to go through these routines to find it, which is okay. All right, I'm getting it. But to me, I prefer the, well, your sole purpose can change. And so instead of putting my effort into finding what that one calling is and that one purpose, why don't we all lighten up? And think of those micro purposes, I guess I would say. I'm into that micro aggression, right? Micro aggression, micro harmony, micro loving. And I think you can feel it. Like right now, you're listening to this podcast. And if you're, whatever you're doing, doing the laundry, driving a car, just this is going to be over in 10 minutes or so, or 15 minutes, whatever, depending on, it could be over in 20 minutes or 10 minutes, depending on what speed you play this back at. <laughs> so uh i got about 15 minutes to walk bud so that's how long the podcast is yeah i let the dog do everything i let the dog show me where to go i, let the, I just 
I don't really walk the dog, Bud walks me, you know, so. Here we are down a different street. There's a little dog up here. Maybe he smelled this little dog. So we'll come back to the micro in a moment. Morning. Friendly? You got, oh, you got two. You got your hands full there. All right. All right, Chloe. We have to hurry. There's one more at home I have to take out. Oh, okay. You can't do three at a time, huh? Okay. All right. Yeah, you too. Yeah, I heard a little accent there in the gentleman's voice. But I refrained. Somehow, magically, I refrained from getting excited. And going like, oh, where are you from? Yeah, wow, cool, man. And he had like an orange, it was kind of strange, an orange NASA shirt on. And then a London hat. So, I guess... Uh, a lot of us like to wear stuff, images, but uh, yeah, that can go a lot of places. So I went back to the micro. So you're listening to the podcast. You're we're on to the meaning. You know, the, the title of this baby is the meaning of life. So we're taking the pressure off people, off of purpose, off of why. What's your why? You know, let's take the pressure off. Let's let's. Let's think of it as changing, right? I mean, it's nice to have a general direction that we're going, but think about integrating everything in your life, which is, to me, is the spirit, walking in the spirit. So it's like an all-encompassing integration of gratitude as well for thankfulness, the attitude towards the unavoidable suffering. So uh, depending on how persnickety you are, I think I'm pretty persnickety. Your child in the back seat could be, you know, flipping around in the chair and crying and whining, and that can be annoying. And you might think of that as some unavoidable suffering. So you could have an attitude towards that, right? What's it's like, okay, that's life. Wait, this I got meaning. My meaning is to smile, laugh. And even if you smile and look in your child's eyes or are having an encounter with somebody and you just give them your full attention, uh, people just won't get it. You know, this is where my song, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished, comes in. I was, I was reviewing that again today. That we do so many good deeds, especially mothers and, you know, taking care of small kids. It's like so many good deeds. And you feel like you're getting punished for it. <laughs> it's like, hey, hey, little child, I am getting you some food right now. Could you be a little bit appreciative of that? And they won't be. It's your, it's a good deed, and you're being punished because you get no, no gratitude in return. <laughs> so, unavoidable suffering. So what's it all about? It's uh, Sunday morning. I need to go to the gym here in a while. I like football, but that's kind of silly, but it's a kind of Sunday morning. Still disappointed a bit, not knowing the future, but I'd like to have some kind of side hustle, side hustle. If you have a job, is it really a side hustle or which one's the side hustle? Maybe the job is the side hustle and the side hustle is the side hustle is the real thing. I don't know, but that's that's the direction I'm going. I do like that. Words have are helpful. Side hustle is a helpful concept. Trolling. Yeah, yeah. Some guy, guy said that uh, on Facebook, he's like, well, I said, man, I'm surprised that I didn't get any response to that or, or uh, nobody really thought that was funny or something. I was kind of like making a joke on Facebook. And, and uh, so I wrote the original poster. And I said, so, hey, um, did you get a coffee machine? It was about coffee machines. And I 
I don't know if it's sarcastically or whatever, but I, I you know, he's like, is any of your coffee snobs out there? And I was responding with, well, I'm a, I'm not a, I wouldn't, I don't like to say I'm a coffee snob about coffee informed, but I'm, I'm informed about coffee. How's that? So, um, and I didn't even go into, I didn't, I didn't even mention my 20 year family history with the, uh, the 20 year experience of fine German roasted coffee with the secret German persnickety attention to detail roasting that goes on in Linsengericht, Deutschland, that Angela Merkel drinks the coffee, you know, Angela Merkel. I've drank, I've had the same roast, roasted coffee that Angela Merkel drinks. <laughs> so, so that would be snobbery, wouldn't it? Would that be a bit snobbery? I guess that would be snobbery. I just call it being informed. I'm informed. So when I was in Germany this summer, the, the roasters had one of these uh, really fancy um, espresso machines. So espresso machines are, that, that's kind of a vague term, but I mean, they go from probably can get one for a hundred bucks, but it may not be very good. And then you may get a thousand dollar one and you might get a $2,000 one, maybe 5,000 from home. Right. But these guys, these guys, since that's their business, they roast 140,000 pounds of coffee a year and sell it to specialty shops in the Frankfurt area. They are in the business. So, they kind of need to have the best equipment. So they happen to have this $27,000 coffee machine, which actually costs more than my Mercedes Benz. <laughs> so, so I kind of get a kick out of that. Yeah, it's Italian made. I think it's San Remo. So I found it on Amazon. You can buy one on Amazon if you want. San Remo. And uh, $27,000, that's for a three group. You could get, you could save money by getting a two group, which for home use, you probably only need one group. And group is just the number of uh, um, coffees you can make simultaneously. So the difference with espresso coffee, if you're not, uh, I know some of my listeners have actually worked at Starbucks, so they probably appreciate the details. Um, but the, the espresso coffee, when you make a latte, mocha, cappuccino, it all starts with a shot of espresso. And the espresso process is pressurized water through the finely ground beans. So you, you, you actually should be grinding the beans in a finer, powdery condition. And then there's a whole barista process of tamping it down and getting it in the machine. But your machine, if it really controls the pressure and temperature of the water well, then, you, you know, that, that determines the uh, quality of the, the brew, so to speak, right? So in, in uh, informed, we're not going to use coffee schnob anymore. We're just going to say we're going we're gonna to make that nicer, more positive terminology we're going to call it coffee informed <laughs> so the coffee informed world talks about the crema the crema so when you if you just did a shot and most people going to starbucks you don't ever see the crema because it's dumped in a cup and uh mixed with milk and things so you don't really see it but a barista or somebody that's pouring espresso shot. So if you want to have fun, just go in and order an espresso. That's what the, my first experience with espresso were these French guys and they would go get espresso shots at a restaurant. Cause they, it, basically the machines are expensive, whether it's a thousand bucks or 2000 bucks, or in this case, $27,000, but it comes with an app. You can, <laughs> You can use your phone app to finally dial in on your claim or whatever, right? 
so it's really top of the end machine. So this Facebook post, this guy was kind of like soliciting to the world. Hey, man, you know, I'm thinking about maybe I should get an espresso thing, you know. And and uh, so I thought in, in negotiations, anchoring is an interesting concept, right? So anchoring means throwing out a number and then now your brain has this number. So when I established 27,000 bucks, now a $2,000 machine sounds like cheap, right? Because I've anchored the brain on 27,000. So I was hoping to, to use that anchoring effectively too, but nobody responded to it. And people are like, well, well uh, I don't know. They probably didn't know how. Like, what am I, how am I supposed to respond to this? And I'm just saying that you, the, the, the espressos machines, there's, there's a reason why it's 27,000. There's a reason why some people would buy it. You know, three group, that's, that's a nice little restaurant. So if you're cranking through, through uh, a lot of coffees, you know, and buying a $27,000 machine, that's just part of the cost of doing business. And if you decided to choose the San Remo one as opposed to Maserati or whatever these other Italian machines are, you know, it's your choice. Maybe you spend 10000 Maybe you spend eight. I'm just saying top of the line looks like it's 27000 And you can probably spend more than that, too. But this one's available on Amazon. <laughs> so I, that gets almost to the point of, like, do they really stock these things or do they build them to order? So when things get real expensive, they tend to build to order. But maybe they stock 10 or maybe they know the demand is like two a month or something. Whatever. I didn't want to go off too much on that. But I was talking about trolling, right? So his comment to me was, oh, well, people can't tell if you're just trolling. And I'm like, I I really have an issue with trolling term because I really don't know what it, I, it's talking about grip grip on it and in the meaning of life way i'm kind of like well who cares do i really need to know and do i care if someone thinks i'm a troll right and i mean because i that's basically what i did is i took offense like oh well so nobody's commenting because everybody thinks i'm a troll you know i mean and i went into the philosophy of with myself i'm thinking about it i'm thinking about well i don't i never thought of facebook as being the place for trolling because to me the number one troll place is twitter right so and tw and i say that because twitter has these little 140 character limit things or maybe 280 or something but um the point being is you just think you only have a little chance to to put out a short message and uh, in 140 characters so it's fraught with i mean the whole concept of twitter to me is just is just a failure of communication because you, you can read into anything when i usually because i'm a contrarian and, and uh contentious i guess as some people might say is i can read any tweet and think of some smart ass remark to it so some people would call that trolling i call it practicing my language skills <laughs> so, so. So, and then, uh, and, and I know I'm sure a lot of people don't agree with me. Like I'm in the, like an extreme, I'm an extremist. I'm like way out on the Gaussian curve on this one, my friends. But, uh, yeah, so I, I see Twitter as a hundred percent entertainment and a lot of it is because people just, they have their opinions and they state them and then they don't want to deal with it. Nobody wants to, uh have their opinions challenged. So, yeah. So Twitter is kind of like, to me, I've decided it's the electronic version of the bathroom stall. Like, you don't really, you really want to be on Twitter. It's kind of, it's very analogous, really. Yeah. But it's sort of addicting, right? And plus you have to go to the bathroom every day, pretty much anyways. So you're going to find yourself in a stall. And then people are going to write crap on the stall. 
and you're going to look at it and you go, well, that's funny or that's stupid or something. And sometimes you may want to respond to that bathroom stall comment, you know, and I can quite literally, I call a lot of these self-promoting tweets, which are celebrities or they have a following, right? You have a following on Twitter, which I care less about um, right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> because I have to, my message is so edgy. And, and some, it seems to me it's edgy. And I know I'm going to piss people off. Right. I already do know I'm pissing people off. So um, what, what does that mean? I mean, do I get comfortable with that? So some of these purposes of these podcasts or the meaning of life on these podcasts is for me because of changes is just talking through rejection, like how, you know, my ideas are not popular or I don't know. I don't know if they're popular or not, but I'm, I just Twitter. So I call them tweet turds. In fact, I think somebody already uses hashtag. It's basically a guy self-promoting author, thought leader, right? Puts out some tweet. And I look at it and I go, well, that, that could be interpreted one way or another. And I'm like, well, if I interpret it this way, it's really kind of dumb. So I tweet something and, and I, I'm not going to get a response from the guy because he's just tweet turding. He's just like putting out his idea. And it's not to have any kind of conversation about anything significant. It's just the guy's tweeting his opinion. And I don't know if it's because... You know, he, his followers want to hear his opinion. But I'm not the only one that comments on Twitter, right? I mean, especially if Trump or somebody faint, really like big time tweets something, you'll get hundreds of responses, literally hundreds of people. And then they'll start arguments within the tweets. But the original poster, they they put their turd out there. And now everybody's, you know, they, they put it in a bag. They started it on fire, rang the doorbell, and now we're all, you know, stomping on this, you know, the the paper bag on fire. It's a tweet turd, Twitter turd, right? That's my framework of Twitter, okay? Now, not everyone agrees with me, right? Because, I mean, I can frame it that way and, and, and say that's the way it is, because I... I, I <laughs> And someone, I mean, honestly, what I'm trying to do is reduce my Twitter time. But I quite, I literally, the other connection is I literally will go sit in a stall. And because it's on my phone, I can look at tweets. And so I'll, instead of spending like two minutes doing my business, so maybe it takes four. So I invested two more minutes of time to express my thoughts on Twitter. And I usually get nothing back in return. And I usually get called, oh, you're just a troll. You're an internet troll. So I have my opinion that basically everybody on Twitter is a troll. So they don't think they're a troll, right? They like, oh no, I'm I'm, a, I'm an author of this sophisticated uh, book and I'm a thought leader. I'm a thought leader, my friends. And uh, because I'm a thought leader, I'm gonna tweet this thought that just came to my mind. This, this is uh, so significant. So I'm going to tweet this. You know? So there it is. And it goes out. And that's it. They feel like I've done my duty. I have, as a representative of the thought leaders, which are really, if you look at it, it's basically, yeah, you're a thought leader. That's great. You know what you're a thought leader of? Yourself. <laughs> A thought leader of one. <laughs> because I'm such a pain in the ass. You're a thought leader of one, my friend. You may have sold a million books. You may be on TV. You may have a weekly uh, program or do something. You have a big following. You have a platform. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, Ellen, you're a thought leader. So tweet. Go ahead. I'm going to tweet something. Yeah. Yeah. So I look at the tweet. I'm like, um, yeah, okay. Yeah. Probably works for you, dude, but it's not working for me. So I, all of a sudden I become the troll where I'm saying like, no, 
the, the guy tweeting that is a troll. And I'm saying either everybody's a troll on Twitter just by the fact that you're even on there or nobody's a troll. So don't hide behind troll, trollism. Just, it just makes you feel comfortable like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. Don't want to think too deeply. Oh, it's too complicated. Nah, it's just a troll. Just a troll. And really what I'm trying to do is engage probably in conversation or look at the flip side. There's two sides of the coin, right? Flip the coin around. Yeah, yeah. You know, so Mr. Thought Leader with the books and the million copies is tweeting. And his publicist probably says, well, you got to tweet. Oh, and probably, they might even be sophisticated to realize, like, well, I don't really like Twitter. So I know, but you got to get your name out there, man. You got to be, you got to be on Twitter, right? And even some of these guys hire people to tweet for them, right? So as soon as you go to that conclusion, they realize that, you know, not every tweet is directly from the mind of the tweeter, and you consider the fact that quite possibly a thought leader, a self-proclaimed thought leader with with what are we going to say like um a million followers right <laughs> and on an outlier curve and you look up all the twitter people like who has the most following yeah maybe they're an outlier right but guess what life doesn't center around twitter people and that's why i keep going back to like twitter is so overblown and i can't believe roseanne barr and they cancel the show because of that. It's just, you know, and then someone might say, well, the guy only has a million followers, but really he's influencing. Oh, an influencer. Yeah. Yeah, the old influencer thing. And um, so they're influencing tens and hundreds of millions of people, I guess. So you can't just go by the followers. No, no. But there are 7 billion people on the planet. So a lot of this does come down to boundaries, not the Henry Cloud boundaries, but where do we draw the circle of boundaries? Like it's just America is all that matters, 330 million people? Or does 7 billion people matter, right? So yeah, I can go on and on about that. We're a couple of minutes away from reaching our destination and we're gonna land this plane. Probably the best thing that happened yesterday was I sat down with a guy, we were talking and he's, uh, from the church I know, and we've known each other, not real deeply or personally, or I don't even know how you would, you know, graphically represent our relationship, but it was, uh, we're aware of each other, right? And he's a pretty favorable guy, and he's favorable towards me. And I offered to take him to a, to meet some train guys, because I'm a super connector. And I don't really care that much about trains, model trains, but I know a couple people that do. And so I'm like, well, why don't I connect these people? So I'm doing my good deed. And so no good deed will go unpunished. Right? So the, uh, the punishment part is to have to talk about politics with the guy. <laughs> so, so, so we engaged in it. And I'm like, well, we're, he sort of knows me and like, you know, what do, what do I, I mean, can we just let our guard down and just be real, you know, which pretty much we did, but he gave me some good feedback. Like when I get impatient with my message, whatever the message is, if I get impatient and I feel like, okay, I've explained it. You should get it now. Right. Don't you get it? I just explained it to you. I gave you the facts. It's over with. You should think like I do, and you should be thanking me and going, oh, okay, I see it exactly the way you do now. Oh, wow. Wow, Michael, thanks. You explained that so well. And, you know, say no more, Michael. I am now, I'm changing my political views 100% just because of this five-minute discussion. You know, that's kind of what my I'm impatient for. I kind of want, I have some kind of delusional thought that that's the way political discussions um, usually go, right? I mean, that that's, makes sense, right? 
So what kind of self-discovery? What kind of self-awareness? I know, and I and I really, I think I, you know, I'm just listening to one data point. It's like, oh, you're so self-aware, but maybe I am. I mean, maybe this is a case where I'm like listening to the guy. He's like, so Michael, let me model back to you, role play back the last minute of our conversation, and you were like all animated and all excited about something, you know. And I'm like, okay, well, let me. I'll listen to that. I'm not going to argue with that. So I listen. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see that. I sort of do feel my blood pressure going up and he's, he's been a marriage counselor for, he had marriage counseling training. So he, he probably know, you know, he's, you know, even though it's just he and I, I mean, there's no, we're not talking about marriage or anything, but same, very similar principles apply. It's, you know, people that have struggle with relationships. Right. And, uh, I know the listeners, they never have any struggles. You're, you're, I mean, you can tune out now because I know the listeners, I'm the only one who has issues with, um, relationships <laughs> well i know I, I am an i am a person that has an issue with relating to sarcasm i know that so how's that get a chuckle on that can i get it can i get a chuckle on that one and uh so yeah i listened to him and i thought yeah okay so yeah i, I see that and i know that when i tried to sell something i watched a video of me trying to sell something and i was i go wow i kind of look kind of angry <laughs> so so thanks for listening to the podcast because, you know, I don't know, I hope, I hope anger <coughs> doesn't come out all the time. I mean, I guess that's what ranting is. Some people don't mind ranting, I guess. Most people probably don't like ranting. So what do I got to do? Tone it down somehow? Tone it down. Tone it down. I sort of really can't, but I guess I have to think about what's effectively communicating. So if I can't please everybody all the time, right? And, but I could probably modify my style of delivery of things. And that's, it's a habit. I mean, I have a habit. I think it's like, I was thinking like, why do I get so like, you got to change your opinion. It's like we decided after the discussion was like, I got to let people have their own opinions, which is, you know, like, <laughs> gee, that should be fundamental. Well, I haven't learned that. I'm down on the Gaussian distribution curve. Letting other people have their opinions? Are you kidding me? What? <laughs> that's that's not possible. That's not possible. <laughs> Let other people have opinions? And then the next level, which is really important too, is like, oh, wait a minute. Um, maybe having opinions about this is just not that important. Maybe opinions about whether we should go to Mars or the moon and in this case, I know I'm just using that as an example, like, oh, we really got next thing we got to do is we got to go to Mars or, or the other opinion is like, oh, no, no, no. The next thing we got to do is we got to go to the moon. Right. So there's a couple of different opinions on that. Right. And uh, I use that just to take the emotion out of it, out of the discussion. But then I think like, OK, well, what does this have to do with me? I'm not um, working for either one of those companies. I don't have a relationship with either one of the leaders of the two different organizations and I have no skin in the game, right? So skin in the game, complex terminology, because in some way, some metaphysical way, you could say that we all have skin in the game with everything, right? Because we're all part of the universe, as some people say. And I kind of chuckle at that, but it's there's an element of truth to that because God is so big. Even the Judeo-Christian God is massive. And really, the Judeo-Christian God says he he can shut it all down at any instance. He can snap his fingers and go, oh, I'm done with this. Boom. Psh, gone. So we are all part of the universe, in the, even in a Judeo-Christian. So it's not a choice of like, is Judeo-Christian, Judaism, Christianity, God the same as the Hindu or blah, 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 God. I'm like, well, no, the Judeo-Christian God can still be the real thing that's done the most to really communicate accurately about himself and makes a lot of sense. And we can say even the Hindu, these other religions, they they share elements of truth, but they, they're missing some key features or whatever. But it's not even worth arguing about. So like what... Uh, now, that might be worth arguing about, but going to the moon and going to Mars, which one should we do? Uh, different opinions, 
but I'm saying, is it really that important? So if we spend five minutes arguing about whether we should go to the Mars or moon, and neither one of us have, we have zero input into any of those decisions, we will be affected by them, right? So we, we there's no doubt that we are impacted if the moon wins out and there's all of a sudden there's 10,000, 20,000 people living on the moon, you know, 10 years before anybody's living on Mars. Well, then we'd say like, well, see, I was right, man. I told you we should have gone to the moon. But it's kind of bogus, right? It's after the fact. So we got to live in the moment. It comes back to the meaning of life. So I better close on that because this was a good podcast for me, hopefully for you. The meaning of life changes, my friends. It's 2019. It's November, what are we, 10th? Tomorrow is the Elf to Elf to. Hopefully I'll have an Elf to Elf podcast for you tomorrow and I'll explain that. But um, it's November 10th today and there'll be an Elf to Elf to podcast tomorrow. And, um, but meaning of life, yeah, it is. it changes for you personally and it is different for every human, but it's not fixed for every human. That's what, that's the big takeaway for me is that you can have multiple meanings to life throughout your life. And what that does is it helps my brain and hopefully it helps your mind go, wait a minute, I'm listening to this podcast. It's going to end in like a minute and I'm going to go on and do something else next. I'm going to go on and do who knows what, whatever you're doing that, you know, embrace whatever it is, is whatever mundane thing it is, what, you know, making coffee, making dinner, going shopping, picking up kids at a school, going to the dentist, whatever you're doing, let that be your meaning and embrace it in the moment. And that is in some ways another description of what walking in the spirit means, walking in the spirit of God that Jesus said what we're going to have. And uh, my brain is already going onto a diatribe about how the organized religion is codifying our belief systems to extent that we lose the living God idea. So I'm um, just for last little punchy line was Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Right. And it seems that the organized church has changed that to, I have come that they might have theology and a systematic theology at that. So it's like, we, we've taken, we're again looking at the tree in this huge forest of beauty and amazement freedom and we walk around looking at tree um, trunks and analyzing the bark okay so give yourself a hand for making it through this course on the meaning of life and um, yeah go ahead and share it share it with others that might might need a little encouragement so all right. Grace, peace, and mercy, everybody. Bye.